In a world where everyone has an opinion, we cut through the noise to bring you actionable exercise and nutrition strategies. The VitaliFitCast with Jason Bacigalupo starts now. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode three of the VitaliFitCast. I'm your host, Jason Bacigalupo. Today, we're going to talk about nutrition fundamentals and why having a good, solid habit-based foundation is so important to achieving your health and fitness goals. I've written a lot in the past about how I don't have an affinity for diet plans. I'm not a big fan of writing out a specific meal plan or, or specific types of foods that you cannot absolutely have under any circumstances. I'm not a big fan of doing that because it doesn't set up a person very well for the long term. My focus, my goal always with respect to nutrition coaching or helping people navigate some nutrition challenges that they have are helping them to establish that good habit-based foundation because that will always go with them. You will you will pack that up and take it with you wherever you go. The the thing to think about here is that we sometimes get bogged down with with information and and we sometimes get bogged down in the idea that it's got to be really complicated. Well, it's not necessarily complicated. We're talking about simple, actionable steps that are easy to implement. However, the challenge sometimes becomes in making them a consistent, rock-solid part of your day-to-day activity. So simple and easy to, to implement, but not always simple to do consistently. When I think about a good habit-based foundation, I consider it to be the low-hanging fruit. So what are those real simple things that we can do day in and day out that are going to that are going to return the most value? What are the action steps we can take that give us the most bang for the buck? What are the things that we can do 80% of the time to help ensure that we are as healthy as possible? And so when I think about those action steps, The very first one I always talk about with people is to eat slowly. When we eat slowly, our body is able to digest the food that you intake appropriately. We also allow the brain to receive satiety cues. So we feel full and we know when it's time to stop. This naturally is going to reduce your overall caloric consumption. We also, when we eat slowly, we enjoy, we savor the meal, we relax. We don't feel like we're in a rush. We don't feel like we have to shovel that food into our mouth. And we start to realize that those healthy foods can be quite tasty when we slow down and enjoy them. The second step is to stop when you're satisfied. So when I'm eating a meal, my goal is to stop before I feel super stuffed. So let's say that's 80% full. Again, if I can do that, I'm going to create a pretty powerful one-two punch with my eat slowly habit in terms of calorie control. If we can start there and execute those two habits consistently, we're going to go a long way toward controlling our caloric intake before we even talk about the types of foods that we're eating. Another very simple solution for both satiety and nutrient density is to always have lean protein and veggies serve as the base of every single meal. When you eat those two food sources together, you're eating a slow digesting nutrient-dense meal that's packed with amino acids, fiber, vitamins, and minerals. 
You don't solely have to consume protein and veggies in your meal. I'm not advocating for a specific diet, but what it does ensure is that you'll be far less likely to overconsume poor quality, calorie-dense foods later on. And lastly, as far as our habit-based action steps go, set aside time for food prep. My first recommendation, take 30 minutes out of a day, whether it's Saturday, Sunday, whatever the day is that's best for you, but wash and cut up all of those fruits, veggies, things that you're going to want to be able to eat later in the week and have them readily available for you when you need them. You'll save some valuable time. It's something, it's a step that I follow all the time. For example, bell peppers, I'll cut up green, red, yellow, and orange bell pepper, put it in a Tupperware container, and then it's right there. When I want a salad, I've got it ready to go. When I want a vegetable to saute, I've got it ready to go. If we buy grapes, my wife will pull those off the vine, wash them, put them back in a bag. She'll cut up strawberries and pineapple. We'll do all of those things up front so that later on down the line, it's much easier to eat and we don't we don't burn a ton of time. Finally, I think perhaps one of the most important things that my wife and I strive to do and one of the things that we talk about with clients, try to minimize eating out. If we prep and plan our meals and we do a really good job of that, we'll minimize that need to eat out. A lot of the restaurant prepared meals that you're going to find have a ton of hidden calories. And if you can stay away from those, you'll automatically and naturally make yourself a lot healthier in the long run. Eating out's not cheap either. And I've heard people say it's so difficult, so difficult to to eat healthy. The foods are expensive. Well, the money that you save from eating out, you can then turn around and put toward those healthy food options and probably also a summer outfit that you've been eyeing. Point being, our healthy eating habits help to drive down hidden costs like doctor's visits and expensive medication. Therefore, it's well within your interest to make sure that you're trying to, to build that habit-based foundation and, and have those healthy options available to you whenever possible. Look, the bottom line is this when it comes to these foundations. Busy lives and full schedules make it difficult to focus on our health. I don't want to complicate it with an overbearing diet strategy and a hard-to-follow quick fix. The reality is those things are going to fail us in the long run. Our fundamentals will never fail us. So make sure that when you're thinking about your diet nutrition that you pick that low-hanging fruit first. Now, let's say you've got a really good foundational base and you're, you're doing a really good job with those fundamental points that we talked about. Well, there are some additional strategies that you can implement to try to help spur along progress. Maybe you feel like you've hit a plateau and you want to change things up a little bit. Well, there are some strategies that you can implement, but keep in mind that these strategies will not really return anything to you unless you've got the fundamentals in place. So let's take a look at some specific concepts and how they might be applied to enhance performance or help with fat loss. So the first is nutrient timing and cycling. Most people just want to look and feel good. And if your goals are oriented toward general fitness, nutrient timing and cycling probably is not going to help that much. However, if you've got lofty muscle gain or fat loss goals, you might be able to bust through a plateau if you utilize something like nutrient timing. In practice, it means that you're eating your biggest, most calorie-dense meal following your workout, and you're cycling macronutrients based upon the day's energy expenditure. If we're timing our biggest meal to a workout, the body is craving those proteins, fats, and carbs that it needs to replenish and fuel muscle growth. This is really most relevant when you're working out in a fasted state or you plan to have multiple workouts. If you're not getting the necessary nutrients, you'll have diminished performance later on, and you'll also experience massive cravings, 
many of those will threaten to undo the progress that you've gained during your workouts. So having that food ready to go in those two scenarios is really important. In the second example, we keep our protein, fat, and veggie intake right where it is, but we get rid of our carbs on non-workout or super low-intensity workout days. This strategy offers us a built-in calorie control that better matches our output for the day. Yet again, this is an applicable strategy for fat loss when you're talking about competition and things like that rather than general fat loss. I'd also like to point out carbs are not the enemy. So we talked about making protein and veggies the base of your diet. Carbs are not your enemy. Fruits, veggies, potatoes, sweet potatoes, rice, quinoa, all those grains, they're perfectly normal and healthy part of a, of a balanced diet. With respect to carbs, we get in trouble when we overconsume them or we prepare them in such a way that we unnecessarily add calories and strip away their nutritional value. As an example, my wife and I both love French fries. Now, if you take a if you take a potato and you fry it and add a bunch of stuff to it, it's not nearly as healthy as it is in its native state. However, we have an air fryer. If we cut those potatoes up in a French fry sticks, throw them in the air fryer, give them a little bit of salt, that's a very healthy way to eat a potato and we get our French fry fix. So it's a simple thing that we can do in order to help ourselves out, enjoy the foods that we like, but do so in a healthy way. Another strategy involves meal frequency or including more frequent meals throughout the day. In theory, it helps to control blood sugar peaks and valleys and helps to maintain a steady level of satiety. The downside is that it can be a difficult schedule to maintain, especially if you're on the road or you have a demanding job. Also, calories in versus calories out matter. I've seen a lot of people mistakenly look to this multiple meal strategy as a, as a calorie control strategy, but if you're consuming more than your burn, your weight's going to go up, and that fact doesn't change. Protein and veggies still must remain the base of your meals, and you still must watch how many additional calories you're consuming. Otherwise, you're back at square one regardless of how many meals you eat. Quality of calories is also important. Personally, I've never seen much of a difference in terms of fewer meals, more meals, eating eating throughout the day. It doesn't make it a bad strategy. I have a few clients that swear that five to six meals has helped their progress. Some finds it helps their digestion. Some find they feel better. Different things work for different people. And it comes down to personal preference. Find what works for you and, and make it a part of your day. Finally, supplementation. First, let's define a supplement. It's something that completes or enhances something else when added to it. Therefore, in order to properly utilize a supplement, and see a benefit from it, we need to be executing our low-hanging fruit strategies with consistency. I've seen a lot of people who stock their shelves with a variety of things that are mostly driven by good marketing rather than good science. And if we're going to take supplements, there's really only three that I would recommend. The first are BCAAs or branched chain amino acids, which are important for protein synthesis, in other words, muscle rebuilding and maintenance of blood sugar levels. It's important that we have enough available in the body to support our workouts. So you can find this in a powdered form and mix it with water. Usually five to 10 grams is enough. And if you sip it during your workout, you might find that you've got a little bit of an energy boost and you feel good. And again, it's going to help with protein synthesis. Powdered protein. After the workout's over, you may not have a readily available meal. And so powdered protein might be a good option for you. A scoop of protein is going to have about 25 to 30 grams in it, depending upon the brand. You mix that with some fruits, make yourself a smoothie or mix it in water, have a banana or whatever your favorite fruit is, and that's going to be a good way to replenish 
energy stores, get some protein into your body, get some carbs into your body with the fruit after you've done your workout. The third supplement is a green supplement. And sometimes it's very challenging to get in that five to 10 servings of veggies that would be ideal to have. And so a green supplement, a powdered green supplement becomes a very easy way to add those veggies back into your diet. Typically what I'll do is I'll have a scoop of powdered greens, mix it in water or in a smoothie, and you're going to get those nutrients that you're missing out by not having all your veggies at your meals because you're traveling or you've got deadlines and stopping for a meal is not always the easiest thing in the world. The green supplement can be a powerful tool in your arsenal. Ultimately, supplements can play a vital role in ensuring that you're getting the nutrients, vitamins, and minerals that you need to maximize progress. However, I'd encourage you not to rely on them. Don't purchase a bunch of fat burners, pre-workouts, and products that have no scientific foundation. Focus on high-quality foods and the right quantities, and you'll never go wrong. If you're missing a little bit, that's where a supplement's really going to have value for you. If you're, spend, if you're spending a ton of money on supplements, you're just lighting money on fire, and that money's better spent on healthy food options. Now, the third part of this, the high-hanging fruit, these are the hardest to implement strategies. And when I think about these strategies, these are really the specialty diets, keto, paleo, what have you. They're all of those diets that are very restrictive. And, and the reality is it doesn't matter what the diet is, whatever the methodology is, a lot of these diets have two primary things in common. Number one, they eliminate many of the processed, calorie-dense, nutrient-poor foods that you're going to eat. Number two, they're very rigid. So to be compliant, you've got to adhere to this very strict set of rules. Let's take a look at five popular diet strategies and see what each of them entails. First is intermittent fasting. And all intermittent fasting is is a timing strategy that utilizes eating windows where you have a period of time where you're allowed to eat and a period of time where you're not. The most common protocol is an eight-hour eating window and a 16-hour fasting window. Some protocols do not place restrictions on what foods you can or cannot have. Others may vary the macronutrient content based upon what you're doing for exercise. Regardless, the underlying premise is that if you restrict the number of hours that you can eat, you're also going to restrict the, your overall caloric intake. Now, I've experimented with intermittent fasting, and I can tell you that I feel better. My energy levels feel really good. I feel very alert. However, it's not a panacea when it comes to fat loss because it can still be very easy to overconsume your meals. So those fundamentals still must be present. If you're not careful with how you structure those meals in terms of timing, size, and content, you're probably going to overeat. And in some cases, hunger is going to cause you to find options that aren't necessarily the best. So again, fundamentals become really important here if we, if we want to achieve our body composition goals, regardless of whether we use an intermittent fasting strategy or not. Another strategy that's become very popular as of late is the, the ketogenic diet or keto diet. And really what the keto diet's all about is a high protein intake and fat intake diet. Very low carbs on this diet. The theory goes that if you replace your carb intake with fat, your body goes into ketosis. And with carbohydrate sources scarce, fat becomes the body's primary energy source and the brain will get its energy from the ketones that are produced. So a well-executed keto diet is going to be high in lean protein, healthy oils, nuts, veggies, and high in fiber. Typically, most of those fruits and starchy vegetables are going to be a no-go because they don't allow the body to achieve ketosis. And alcohol and refined carbs are off limits as well. So it's very restrictive. 
if you're pre-diabetic or a type 2 diabetic, this diet might help to reduce blood glucose levels. Those who are also looking for an extreme fat loss strategy might find benefit. However, I don't believe this diet to be the best choice for those who are working out at high intensities, doing a lot of running and sprinting, or who do not have competition-oriented fat loss goals. I would say those individuals are well-served to eat healthy carb sources, which will allow them to maintain energy and performance levels. Now, the paleo diet operates under the theory that our ancestors from the Paleolithic era ate certain foods only obtainable by hunting and gathering. If it's farmed or processed, it's off limits. We can debate a lot of assumptions about what our ancestors ate, but fairly, I would say that paleo does a really good job of emphasizing lean protein, nuts, veggies, healthy foods. It naturally steers people toward healthier eating habits. It becomes restrictive, though, when it eliminates all processed foods, dairy, and the occasional chocolate chip cookie. Also keep in mind that processed foods aren't always the enemy. We talked about supplements before. Those are processed, and you might benefit from having a protein powder or a bar or some powdered greens in your bag. If I can't have some of the foods that I really, really like, I love to make pappardelle bolognese. Uh, I like cheese. I like ice cream in moderation. So for me, I'd much rather make protein and veggies the base of my meals and then figure it out from there. Now, the next diet on our list is the gluten-free diet, and it's, and it's interesting because it's become quite popular. It eliminates any sources of the protein gluten from the diet. Now, about 15% of the population has a diagnosed gluten intolerance. So in this population, gluten is going to trigger an autoimmune response that leads to inflammation and digestive issues. Foods that are high in gluten include things like wheat, barley, rye, and certain oats. But rice, quinoa, corn, those types of grains do not contain any gluten. So the base of a gluten-free diet, surprise, surprise, is protein and veggies and those grains that are gluten-free. People can see positive results from a gluten-free diet even if they don't have an intolerance, most likely because they're reducing or getting rid of the amount of processed foods and refined grains that they might have had in their diet, and they're increasing their protein and veggie intake. But keep in mind, gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean healthy, as there are plenty of calorie-dense gluten-free snacks out there that are not in any way healthy. If you don't have an intolerance, it's not necessary to follow a gluten-free diet. If you're hitting your nutrition fundamentals 80% of the time, you'll probably be in a pretty good spot. Finally, let's talk about plant-based diets. There's several different variants, but at their core, these diets are going to eliminate animal products. Some people will choose to follow a plant-based diet for personal reasons that have nothing to do with health issues. Others will follow a plant-based diet because they're dealing with a health concern like type 1 diabetes, and they've seen improvements versus a traditional diet. The biggest challenge with a plant-based diet is ensuring that protein, vitamins, and nutrients are still consumed. Therefore, you've got to be very strategic in your implementation. For example, plant-based sources don't have a complete amino acid profile. Therefore, you have to eat complementary sources like rice and beans in order to ensure that you have that complete amino acid profile present in your meals. Just like the other diets, a plant-based diet requires you to have really excellent fundamentals and good foundations in place in order to achieve results. You can still overconsume unhealthy processed foods if you're not careful. Let's also not lose sight of the fact that everyone responds differently, so what works for one person may have no impact on another. So if you feel like you'd like to try a specialty diet, experiment. Figure out what you respond to and what you don't. 
define what you're willing to give up and what you can't live without. The reason why most diets fail over time is because they're too restrictive. They make us feel like we're in prison. And when we get out of prison, we turn into these ravenous beings that will eat anything and everything we can get our hands on. Personally, I'd much rather live in a world where 80% of the time I'm hitting those fundamentals. And then the other 20% of the time, I'm free to enjoy the foods that I like have the occasional beer, the occasional glass of wine, and enjoy life. If I can do that, I'm going to be a much happier person overall. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the VitaliFitCast. If you'd like to learn more, head over to VitaliFit.com. You can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you'd like to contact us directly, you may do so via the contact form on the website. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. This has been the VitaliFitCast with Jason Bacigalupo. For more news, information, and strategies, head over to VitaliFit.com.